This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. In Mark 10, the uh, Gospels record this moment where Jesus is traveling. It's at the end of a day. And there's a bunch of parents that I guess are a little bit like maybe me, maybe some of us in this room. That's that we want to give our kids the best, and there's a bunch of parents who are a little bit like that. And so they have found Jesus, and they got their kids in tow, right? And they're doing what if, if I knew I had Adelaide and Jesus was in person in the room, what I would be doing because they're doing their best to get Jesus to bless their kids. And the disciples kind of try to squell the moment. They try to take this parent group that is kids and to push them away and to keep them from Jesus. And Jesus interrupts them. Now, again, understand, it's at the end of a very long day. They've been traveling and Jesus interrupts them. And as Mark begins to record, he takes each child into his arms, takes the time to visit with each kid. And he says that if anyone is going to have a part in this kingdom that I'm building, they're going to have to do that by being like a child. Now, I don't know if y'all got any kids around you nowadays, but kids make anything fun. Y'all ever notice that? You know why a kid makes everything fun? Because there is no concept of past or future. For a kid, it's just right now. And it's so beautiful. I remember this moment when I was a kid. This is remarkably embarrassing, but I decided I'd tell you this anyway. All right. As we had, we, me and my dad had breakfast this past week, and we were talking about growing up at where we did, where I grew up in, in South Carolina. My parents are from here, both have family here, but they moved away, and so I lived right outside of Charleston. We were talking about the street that we lived on, and um, it's like neighbors in Stanley County are like, most, for most of us, we can hit them maybe with a driver, Right, If I pulled out a driver and, and hit the golf ball, for us in our little neighborhood, I could putt and hit the next house. Right, That's how close we were. And, and so we, had, we were just talking about we had great neighbors. And there was this single guy that worked with my father that lived across the street from us. And he was just very involved in our lives. I found out later that when my parents were doing Santa Claus on, on Christmas Eve night, that he would come over and help my dad put stuff together. And they would spend all night kind of doing that. Just a great guy. And one day he came over, rang the doorbell, and he made the mistake when I answered the door of asking me what I had been doing. He made the mistake because when he asked me, I looked at him and said, well, I just farted. (laughs) And he looked at me like, well, I wasn't expecting that. And I remember he said this, Kevin, that's one of them things you kind of put that in your back pocket and you sit down on top of that so it doesn't get out. (laughs) But that's how kids are, isn't it? it? I mean, that's how kids are. They're so in the moment. There is no 
concept of, well, I did this yesterday and it didn't work. I watched my daughter do the same things over and over again, make the same mistakes, start running right before she gets to the carpet, even though that carpet is going to trip her up because she's so excited in that moment. And Jesus pulls a little child onto his lap and looks to his disciples and says, if anyone is going to inherit this kingdom, they have to do it like this person. You see, this series is actually a a series for us to intentionally step out of places in our lives that are producing death. Because the resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in all of human history because it is the invitation that those tombs that we've created, the ultimate tomb of death, have no power anymore. And for many of us, unfortunately, our past has become a tomb. The first thing in your notes today is that we all have an ugly past. Everyone has an ugly past. Looking around the room, some of you guys have it all going on today. You, you look like you have done your hair for the ladies. You got your hair all did and got your makeup right. And it's really easy in life that when we meet those people, the people that have worked really hard and have been successful, it's really easy to shake their hand and go, there's no past there. But we all have a past. Read this with me out of Isaiah 53. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's past to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all, speaking of Jesus. You see, in this moment, God is revealing that all of us have a past. We've all failed. We've all blown it. But it's so easy when we deal with and encounter our past, to think of it with this kind of progression of, first of all, that I'm I'm the only one. I'm the only one that has ever done that and blown it that big. I'm the only one that's ever struggled with that thought or that action. I'm the only one that's ever made that mistake. And if you look at my history, I can tell you that I'm the only one that's ever made that big of a blunder in human history. It's really easy to feel that way. It's really easy to get ourselves into a position that when we look at our past, we start to identify it that way. But that's why God calls us into community. Because in community, we find out that everyone has an ugly past. And that couple that you think has the perfect marriage, when you sit down with them and you talk with them, you realize that they fight. So what happens then is we start to go, well, I know that they had that, but it's not like me. Because it's not the same circumstances. You see, I know that you kind of feel like you walked through the same thing that I did. But it was not as gross and negligent as what I did. 
Okay, I, you, you made a mistake, but I literally blew it. And we play this game in our head where we wage this war of comparison between our past and their past. And sometimes it works out in a way that allows us to dismiss it. And many times, often, it works out in a way that we actually uh, feel like we're, we're everyone that's looking at us, if they really knew our past there would be this massive amount of judgment that would be leveraged against us. But the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 that we all have a past. You see, the truth is is that in that fact, in in the fact of dealing with the past behind us, what, what has happened behind us, the mistakes that we've made, where we've blown it, the truth is that God designed this so that we would not be alone in that. As a matter of fact, we're going to go quickly through two men's lives, and I'm just going to talk to you about them. Maybe the most significant figure in the Old Testament and the most significant figure in the New Testament. But let me give you a thought that I I see so many times emerging from Scripture. It's this, that God uses crooked men to make straight paths. And that's a tough thing for us to encounter because we want God and his word to be delivered through a straight conduit. We want to look at somebody and think, you know, they've got it all figured out, so you've got it all figured out. You tell me what you figured out, right? That's not the Bible. That's a self-help seminar. All right, the truth is is that the Bible tells us that we're all sinners. We've all blown it. We've all made mistakes. And we're all probably, without God's grace, going to continue to make mistakes through the rest of our lives. But God somehow doesn't leave us in mistakes. And in spite of our mistakes, God finds a way to use us. Let's look at the life of Moses. Moses is born in this era when the the Israelites have migrated into Egypt. They have grown in numbers so quickly that they've been captivated and put into slavery to help build this massive kingdom. And this slave nation of Hebrews begins to threaten the nation of Israel. Egypt, and so the, there is a decree that goes out to, to kill all the young boys, and Moses' mother, in a moment of, of divine in interference with that plan, puts Moses in a basket, and Moses is found by Pharaoh's wife. He grows up in this, in this big, privileged household, but he's still a Hebrew. He's still this race of a person that is in their country very much looked down upon and enslaved. So here he is in Pharaoh's house. And when he learns that he is indeed a Hebrew, he walks out and witnesses a man whipping a Hebrew. A taskmaster 
put what what would have probably been something that he saw routinely before, but now with the knowledge that this is his cultural identity, he feels the need to step in. And in doing so, in that moment, he kills that taskmaster. And when he kills him, realizing that he has murdered someone, that he has stood up for a slave, that he has no legal right to be in the house of Pharaoh, what does he do? Does he stand up and take the punishment? No, he runs. So in Moses, we have someone who comes from a very low social identity. Someone who murders a man and then instead of facing the consequences, he runs. But what happens? What happens at the end of the story? He encounters God and this stumbling orator of a man returns to Egypt, understanding in the back of his mind that he very well may have to face the consequences of his crime. And he does so simply because God had commanded him and at his obedience, God moves mightily and a whole nation of slaves are freed. You see, God uses a crooked man to make a straight path. Let's fast forward to the New Testament. The very beginning of the book of Acts, we read that the apostles recognized two young men, one of which was Stephen. These young men had exhibited a high level of leadership, and Stephen is one of those. Because of his boldness, not too long from that point, Stephen is put on trial And if you want to read a sermon out of Scripture, read the sermon that Peter, or that that, that Stephen then rebukes to the people that have put him on trial because it it, it is absolutely pointed and brilliant. But he does so in such a way, such a beautifully articulate way that he infuriates the people that have him on trial. Because he brings out the negligence that's there. And the scriptures record that standing in the back of the room, holding the coats of the men who would stone Stephen to death, was a young man named Saul. And that moment must have been important for him because very quickly in the scriptures, moving from Acts 7 where we see Stephen stoned in Acts 8. Now we find this man, Saul, becoming the number one persecutor of this young church. So he is now imprisoning people who have confessed faith and love to Jesus. And at the beginning of Acts 9, The Bible records that this man, Saul, is beginning to make plans to murder Christians. 
simply for their confessed belief in Jesus. So where does that go? With warrants in hand on a road to Damascus, ready to arrest and most likely execute people who had wandered away, people who had confessed in his mind a belief in an illegitimate God, he meets Jesus. And his life from that point is forever altered. A man who wrote half of what we count as the New Testament, who traveled extensively. The church as we know it was shaped by him. This man who was so zealous that he was arresting and persecuting and threatening to murder Christians in very short order has a 180 and is now completely devoted to preaching this gospel of a man that he once regarded a heretic. You see, God uses crooked men to make straight paths. And there's some of you in here that when you think of your past, you think of what's happened before now, what laid on that path behind you. Some of you think, I can't do anything for God because you don't know what I've done. And when we look in the Bible, we see that there are men with significant pasts that God takes them, transforms them, and uses them. So let's take a few moments. I'd like to take a few moments and kind of just talk about how we take what is in our past and we create a tomb out of that, okay? Let's do that. Because we, all of us, find it way too easy to turn our past into a tomb when we let it trap us in. And the first thing that I had is lament. I remember very distinctly being in college and meeting. We were traveling and and I was leading worship at a church in Alabama. And I met um, with the pastor and his wife and, and we were talking. And I remember very distinctly this woman who was probably in her mid-50s at that point. And, and, I, and, and she just was talking about struggling with her past. And I thought, man, you must have just come to Jesus. <laughs> That's what I thought. So I asked her, when, when is this stuff that you're talking about? I mean, how long? She's like, well, it's about 40 years ago. And I thought, that ain't right. <laughs> That ain't really because I I mean I recognize the need to get through stuff and to reflect on it, but it had become something that was a product of shame in her life. And lament, the idea of lament is that we we continue to look back and to regret. But read this out of Isaiah forty three. Remember not the former thing nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. 
Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Can you not see it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So God tells us that if we're going to follow him, we're going to chase him, we need to be aware of the fact that he's going to do something new. Now, for some of us, our past is not something that produces lament. If it were a Facebook page, we might very well go and like it because we're proud of something. And both of those things, if you take a moment and look at our past in light of that passage of Scripture, are dangerous. Because if I lament over my past, if I spend time looking back in regret, I will waste all of my emotions and energy in a backwards perspective. I love what Rick Warren says, that if you're driving down the road and you're looking out the front windshield of your car, the rearview mirror is only about that big. (laughs) It's all of this. And in our lives... Our perspective needs to be about like that. All right, we don't have this huge rearview mirror pointing backwards, right? That doesn't make any sense because if I'm driving and I'm moving forward, I need to be looking forward. God says I'm doing a new thing. But we also can get in a state where we look back and we go, that was perfect. Do you remember that moment, that season? Do you remember when our family was like that? I love that time. I want to go back there. Do you remember when we used to have that program going on at church? Man, I love that. That was awesome. I want to go back there. Do you remember when I used to get to do that? Because I want to go back there and do that again. See, when we like the past, we may very well spend our present, and our future trying to go backwards. But God says, look, I'm doing a new thing. The second thing that we might do is to create a license out of our past. For those of us who have experienced the resurrection power of Jesus, when we come out of a moment of great brokenness, as a result of something that we've done and God miraculously intersects our story and brings wholeness and restoration, it is remarkably easy to go, you know what? It's probably not that bad to do that. And we create a license out of our past because God has brought us out of something and he restored us and we go, well, God, that must not be that big of a deal. But sin is a big deal. And when we look backwards in our past, sin is not dismissed. It's not like God goes, hey, that's not a big deal. I'm going to throw that out. Sin is a big deal because God has a plan. Anything outside of God's plan is sin. And I have to kind of be honest with you because think about it. We, we have plans too. I say that all the time for us. Like, we have a plan. God has a plan. we got to choose which plan we're going to follow. And it's, it's just absurd how many times we think our plan is the better plan. Isn't it? I mean, when we think about that, it's just absurd. You created the universe, and you're telling me what to do? Okay. 
I'll do it. <laughs> right? Does that make, I mean, it, how, how many of you kind of do that? We argue. Like, nope, n- nope, nope, God, I know you know a whole lot, but you don't know me. No, that's not how it works. Um, Galatians 5.13, read this with me. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Galatians 5.13. We are set free not to walk backwards. And it is very easy to recognize that when God has delivered us to think, well, God, you can do that again, or no, that's creating a license to go backwards. We don't want to do that. The other thing that we can do when we come out of our past and, and get, or we can get trapped in a tomb of our past is that we can turn our past into legalism. You see, when our past becomes legalism, we go, well, you know what? I look backwards and I remember I blew it and I blew it because I did this and I did this and I did this. So you know what? I'm never going to do that again for the rest of my life. I'm never going to do that thing. I'm not going to walk back. I'm not going to. There's now a brand new rule. I have drafted it for my life. It's that I will not do that. And the dangerous thing about that system and that way of thinking and that portion, uh, the way that we divide up following Jesus when we start to look into the heart of God and Scripture and we begin to go, this thing may be better defined by just a series of rules. Is that we're subtly saying that if I can follow the rules, I don't really need Jesus. You give me a good long checklist of the right things and the wrong things not to do. And if I can do those in a day and I'm right, I'm all right. And that's not at all how God designed us to be. Look at this, Ephesians 2.8. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. The truth is, is that to walk out of a tomb in our past, the only way we can do that is to identify with the resurrection of Jesus Christ because the resurrection of Jesus invites us to get past our past. The resurrection of Jesus is that invitation that that death that we find looking backwards can stay in that tomb and I can walk out fully alive in his life. So let's talk about what it means, what it will take to get past your past. The first thing is that in Jesus, you are a new creation. You are a new creation in Jesus. It wasn't too long ago I ran into a friend of mine from high school. Now there's 
I don't think anybody, maybe a few of y'all that know me from high school, but if you knew me in high school, you would not know me now. And he ran into me and looked at me, and he was like, are you Kevin? Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Kevin. He goes, really? He's like, man, um, you don't seem like the same person. I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> Sorry. Ain't to burst that bubble. He was like, what? Like, this is blowing his mind. He's like, what do you mean you're not? Like, uh, I'm not the same person. I'm really not. That verse, let's look at this verse out of 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This is one of those verses that very early on for me as a follower of Jesus took on great importance. I, in, in studying the Greek text, okay, without going into a great deal of, of detail, the way that the Apostle Paul, now again, flavor, it, it's the Apostle Paul, this, this person who had this radical transformation is writing this verse. And the way that he lines this up for us, it, when he says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the, the connotation in the way that he strings the words together is that it's so new it hasn't even been touched yet. Like it, it's, it's kind of fresh on the assembly line, a baby right out of the womb. That's how new you are. And sometimes we, we think we're like thrift store new, right? Like I'm, you know, I know that God has like done something, but I feel a little bit like I'm a really good pickup out of a thrift store right now. This verse is telling us that that's not the truth at all. As a matter of fact, when God does something in us, he makes us a new creation so new that it's like you've never even been touched. So the first thing is to realize that you are a new creation. The second thing is this, is that your identity as a follower in Jesus is no longer wrapped up in your own worth but in Jesus Christ himself. Most of us that are trapped in a tomb of our past have defined our self-worth by something that has happened to us before now. And that may be good or bad. But you need to understand something as a follower of Jesus. Your worth is no longer identified by what you're worth. You see, God put a price on you, and it was his son. You're valuable. Your identity is no longer wrapped up in what you've done, but now is wrapped up in Jesus. And the last thing that I would tell you is to escape the tomb of your past you need to realize these things that matter a whole lot. That from this moment on, your life will be defined by what you make the center of your life and what journey you choose to go on. And those are two things that are really important to us here. And so 
We believe that Jesus is the center of an authentic life and that if we're going to chase after him and to pursue Jesus, it means that we're going to have to go on a journey, a lifelong journey that propels us to get ever closer to him. In life, we have a lot of choices. And, and, and in the, the tension between Friday and Sunday morning, between the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, we see the punishment and wages of sin, and we see the promise of new life. And in, in, in life, for many of us, we have to live between those tensions. And it's so amazing that we confuse what life is really all about. That we think that life is about impressing somebody. Getting our neighbors to the point that they'll respect us or that they'll like us. Or we think that life is about acquiring or getting more stuff. Maybe life has been more defined by experiences but real, authentic life is defined by experiencing Jesus. And you cannot, in this moment, look backwards into your past and experience what you experienced before now. You can't look into the future and fast forward two years and experience God in two years. What you do have is an invitation to experience Jesus right now. Right now. And in two minutes, it'll be right then. But right now. And as I was studying and thinking about the little children that Jesus brought into his lap, and thinking about my life, I really was very, very convicted because I'm a planner. I'm someone who does look very much down the road. And I work, I spend most of my time working towards something that's down the road. And I started to think about the fact that Jesus brings that little kid onto his lap because he's pointing out that we can't be so concerned with what lies ahead or what lies behind us that we can experience him right now. That's really what a journey looks like is the willingness to say, God, I don't care where we go. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if it's difficult. I don't care if it's easy. I just want to do this thing with you. So you lead and I'll follow. Let's pray. Dear God, we just want to look right now into your heart and thank you that you have invited us out of a past that for most of us, if we're honest, we would look back and say, God, it's ugly. Some of us have an ugly past that comes up even as close as yesterday last night, maybe even this morning. And we don't want to be so negligent that we think that we've got it all figured out 
that our past is behind us because most of us are going to make some mistakes, some of us even before we get out of this room, some of us before we get out of the parking lot today. And so, God, we just want to be the kind of people, the kind of followers and lovers of you that are willing to be like little kids, to sit in your lap, God, to just love that moment, enjoy that moment, not to be so caught up in regret from the past or even pride from the past that we miss this moment, not to be planning so hard for the future that we don't enjoy today. Because you've invited us into life. And we want to embrace that life. Now with nobody looking around, I just want to ask a very quick question today. If you would say today as we've talked about our past, you would say that when I think about my past, when I look into my past and look backwards, what I think about, I think about things that keep me from connecting with Jesus. And maybe, maybe for you today, you would honestly say that your past failures, mistakes, maybe even successes has kept you from chasing Jesus in this moment. If that's you and you, say, you recognize that now that just makes sense to you, would and you want to make a decision to, to, to step out of that tomb, to get out of that and to make your way towards Jesus Christ. If you want to make a decision that you want to commit to living in his life in the present and not in the past, if that's you, would you raise your hand today? I see those hands. Is there anybody else in here? Anybody else? Let me pray for you guys. God, would you take us, those of us that say that we've been so consumed with the past that it has become a tomb, it's brought death to us. Would you release us to walk out of that tomb and into new life for your glory and your love? Because we love you so much, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray.